My guest today is a financial planning and analysis executive and a corporate valuation leader at a large multinational conglomerate. Please welcome Ben Couch. Ben, long time. How's it going? Hey, Rodolfo. It's going well. It's great to see you. Hey, good to see you too, man. Hey, thanks for coming on to the podcast. Really appreciate it. No, it's my pleasure. I think this is a great vehicle to really help people understand the paths that are out there. Because I don't think, you know, if the objective is pursuing a certain career, it's not always so clear what the path is there. And I think that's something I've learned throughout my career. I think this is an amazing resource to help people really some insight to what their options are. Well, appreciate that. Thank you, man. Thanks. All right. So, hey, let's get right into this. What do you do? Well, first of all, before (laughs) I answer that question, I want to appreciate that question and the way that you asked it. Mm. You know, I think what do you do is a lot different than what is your career. And I think that that has actually shaped my path through my career since graduating from college. And I think finding what you like to do is important because you'll never stop chasing down the answers to your curiosity mm. in trying to, to figure out what you like to do. What I do currently has a number of <laughs> different responsibilities. I would say that the most important thing that I do is to interface through advisory relationships with our various business leaders and our corporate executives to optimize capital allocation with the objective maximizing the value of our investments. So if anybody listened to what I just said and knows what that <laughs> means, then you know, good for you. I think a, a more straightforward way to think about this is, is to think about, think about it at a personal level, right? I mean, each of us had unlimited resources or unlimited capital. If you woke up today and wanted to buy a Ferrari, you do it, right? Because you felt like buying a Ferrari today. If you woke up today and wanted to travel to the south of France, you would because you had unlimited resources to do that. But we don't. We have finite resources. And so we need to make decisions on a daily basis about capital allocation. Right. You're in the grocery store, see the name brand soda or the off brand soda and the off brand soda is a dollar cheaper or two for 10 or three for 10. And hey, you make a capital allocation decision on that spot mm-hmm. about the utility that that's going to give you for the price that you're going to pay for it. Right. I think in the context of a business, it's the same, but but different. I mean, we need to ask these challenging questions of ourselves because our capital is finite, right? We don't have unlimited funds to do whatever we want to, right? I mean, we have to make choices between investing in this new product or restructuring that business or taking your capital and going and doing inorganic investment like going and doing M&A or buying a business or divesting a business. So each of those decisions has to be done in an environment where we ask the question, are we doing the best thing for our shareholders, for our communities, for our employees, you know, and all of our stakeholders. And so I think from that perspective, what I do is to help the company that I work for think in important ways about the decisions we make among the options that we have to maximize the value from the investments that, you know, that we make our investment decisions. And so it feels like it has a very simple objective, but it's a very challenging exercise (laughs) and it's an ongoing, and it's an ongoing exercise, right? Because opportunities pop up randomly. They don't just pop up when you are on your budgeting cycle and, oh, this is great. We can do this now because everything's lined up you know, in a row and we know exactly what we should be doing. 
the opportunities and the challenges pop up randomly and you need to be able to make decisions on the fly in the most informed way as you can about the right way to allocate capital. And oh, by the way, all of this is done in the context of uncertainty. Right. And, you know, there's certainly, you know, as you and I talk here in the midst of the COVID pandemic, there couldn't be, well, I shouldn't say that there could be, but I haven't seen a period of greater uncertainty when you combine the COVID impacts with the massive technology disruption that just has been organically happening for the last decade or so, or even longer. There's a lot that you wish you knew, but that you don't. And so you need to make the most educated decisions that you can about allocating capital. That's what I do. Like, that's the most important part of what I do. I think hopefully you'll hear a little bit more of the story about my roots and kind of what I've been doing as a career. But I I also do a lot of valuation work, Mm -hmm. meaning, you know, for financial, I work a lot with our accounting folks. I mean, there are a lot of instances for financial reporting, just financial reporting being the way we talk about ourselves to the capital markets uh, that has to do with valuation, right? I mean, it could be impairment exercises where you have to measure certain assets or businesses um, for impairment. It could be, um, you know, just simple valuations of our joint ventures, things like acquisitions, uh, you know, if we acquire an entity, we need to value all its individual assets and, and all of that stuff. So there, there is an aspect of that kind of service we provide across the organization. We do it internal. Well, we do it internally and externally, but I think we're kind of unique in the fact that we have a pretty sophisticated internal valuation group. I know that there are, you know, a lot of third-party consultants that will do that work for hire, but it's good to have that kind of expertise in-house in some ways. So that's kind of another aspect of what I do. And evaluation is this across the board, businesses, securities also? Yeah, it runs the gamut. Okay, you're doing everything. Okay. Again, a lot of the impetus is financial reporting. And so it might be a business. For example, if we're doing an impairment test of a minority interest, we might own in a GE, we'll have to value the business, right? Value that minority share of the business. But we also might issue commercially issue a guarantee to one of our customers if our Mm -hmm. customers are borrowing money to help finance some of the products that we that we might sell they might get a letter of credit from a bank and we might guarantee a customer's letter of credit right and so so in that instance now we're valuing a financial guarantee Mm -hmm. which is not a business not an intangible asset not a fixed asset right Mm. Uh, like a machine or real property, but it's a financial instrument, right? So we'll have to to value those things as well. Okay. And so now, so based on what you said, it seems like you're doing a combination of corporate finance and valuation. And when I knew you, you were doing valuation, both business and securities, complex securities valuation. Can you talk about just that move to where you are now? And, and even before that, how'd you even get into <laughs> this in, in general? <laughs> like, is this something, yeah, is finance goes, something you wanted to get into? You're totally right, Rodolfo. <laughs> you know, and this goes to where I started, which is, it's the importance of asking the question, what do you want to do? Mm-hmm. Right? What do you do? My first job out of undergraduate was at a executive compensation consulting firm. And so boards of directors have compensation committees and those compensation committees approve the comp of executives and they need to perform an analysis that supports the decision-making around the comp that they're approving. All right. And we were the ones that they would hire to perform that analysis to justify the tens of millions of dollars of salary and stock that was being granted to to their executives. And part of that analysis was how is your company performing relative to your peer set, right? In terms of the returns on invested capital, in terms of the value creation by your company relative to the value creation of the peer set, in terms of just straight profitability margins or growth, things like that. And I found myself, look, I was a 22-year-old kid making my first (laughs) salary out of undergrad, which was really nothing. 
And I was putting reports together so that boards of directors could approve the $35 million salary of <laughs> the CEO, right? And so I was a little bit disenfranchised <laughs> by that on its face, but I found it really fascinating about comparing the financial performance of companies to one another. Mm -hmm. And then the comparison of those financial performance then led to either outperformance or underperformance on value creation of one company relative to the next. And I was hooked, right? I was like, wow, this is how the world works, mm. right? This is the meaning of the stock market, right? This is the meaning of capital allocation as an individual investor. I want to allocate my money to the place that, ha that produces the most effective return for the money I'm allocating. And I can do this analysis to understand where the opportunities lie, mm -hmm. right? So the context of that work was something that didn't relate to me. It was like, okay, you know, I'm, a, I'm working to help these folks justify their exorbitant salaries, which is, is fine. But the underlying work really fascinated me. And that hooked me. And I knew then, I was like, this is what I want to do, mm. right? So I left that firm and I said, there's more I need to learn about this. And I went and got my graduate degree in, in finance. And when I was there, I interned at a small investment bank and it was like super tiny. And what we were doing was taking companies private and into ESOPs, so employee stock ownership plans. Mm -hmm. So we were taking public stock ownership and converting public companies into private companies and facilitating employee ownership, right? And a part of what I was doing there that was really getting into the value of companies. And so I was really excited about that because I said, okay, I was able to extract the financial analysis valuation piece of the executive compensation work I was doing and just solely make my career based on this stuff, right? And I started looking into these M&A transactions and understanding the value of businesses and understanding structuring transactions and things like that. And then we had this little advisory practice and our advisory practice started doing litigation support. And we started doing support for class action lawsuits, mostly for the prosecution. And those would be things like, hey, this business is accused of committing some sort of fraud. And as a result of their actions, what were the damages that were created, right? And that's where I started getting deep into regression analyses. Right. Just understanding causal relationships of value because of either fraud or poor decision making or et cetera. And I started getting into regression analysis and I started getting into Monte Carlo simulations, mm -hmm. lattice models, this more, I would say, advanced quantitative look at the question of value, but right. underpinning it was value. Right. How does value move because of fraud? What piece of the value movement was caused by fraud? Where should we have expected it to go if it weren't for the fraud, mm -hmm. right? And so then I got really interested in these techniques, you know, of looking at the implications of value. And that led me to another opportunity, which was helping to establish a complex securities practice within a big four accounting firm. And at the time I was doing that work for this little investment bank, that's when the Financial Accounting Standards Board required the accounting for stock-based compensation, right? And so it used to be that if you issued your employees stock options, you didn't have to incur an expense on your P&L as a function of issuing that comp, that you just issued stock options, right? And it must have been around 2005, I want to say, where they mandated expensing stock options. And how do you expense a stock option? How do you know what it's worth? Well, you value a stock option using methods like Monte Carlo simulation, like lattice models, like closed form representations of Monte Carlo simulations, like a Black-Scholes formula or something like that, right? And so I said, well, this is interesting. There's potentially another avenue 
for me to vet out, see how far I can take the applications I've learned here and see if I can apply them in, in a broader context. And so I decided to move over to a big four accounting firm and become part of one of the first couple hires of their, what they called at the time, the complex securities valuation practice. We almost exclusively valued stock-based comp, stock options, restricted stock grants, almost exclusively, I would say for a year or two. And then (laughs) somebody realized, well, you need to value embedded derivatives in debt, right? So if you had a convertible, so that's a piece of debt issued by a company that instead of, you know, instead of the bondholders accepting cash as payment, they can just say, hey, I'd like to just convert into your equity. So instead of you paying back the million dollars you owe me, how about I convert into 10,000 shares of your equity, right? And the accounting rules led you down a path of, saying, well, wait a second, you need to value the call option that's embedded in that piece of debt, (laughs) right? And so we started valuing embedded derivatives inside of debt from call options to conversion options to put options. We started advising our clients on the pricing Mm -hmm. of that stuff. So if they wanted to go to a bank and, and issue a convertible note, are they paying the right interest rate given value of the conversion feature that they're embedding in their debt, right? And more times than not, the bank would try to eke out 50 basis points or 100 basis points of additional interest rate on the debt, even though the value of that conversion feature was so high, right? We would help them in that negotiation. And then that moved into various other kind of consultation projects, you know, on loyalty programs and and things like that, like your miles, the miles that you earn when you buy airline tickets. Mm -hmm. There's a process for financial reporting that's associated with that liability. And the value of that liability is a function of people's behavior, right? And so you had to model out (laughs) people's behavior, the way they redeem the way they let points expire, right? All those types of things. It was a really fascinating exercise in modeling uncertainty, right? And you and I met in that kind of phase of my life, right? When we were in this complex securities practice at this at this big four shop. And that was probably the time of my most explosive kind of personal growth in terms of yeah. understanding the world. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, you know, I never really stopped asking myself, where can this take me, right? I think, and this isn't disparaging at all to the accounting practice or the advisory practice, but it goes a lot to the point of, of know what you want to do, mm-hmm. right? I think partners at an accounting firm are salespeople, mm-hmm. right? I mean, they have to be, that's the expectation. And I think someone starting a career loving the technical aspect of the job may not understand that the golden ring at the end is not as much of the technical aspects of it as it is being a business person and and growing a business that you are a partner. The business development part of it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And there's nothing. And look, that's, that's what it should be doing. I mean, they are shareholders in that business and, Mm -hmm. and, and that's what they should be doing. But You know, I think ultimately I wasn't ready to stop. I didn't feel I was at the end of the road Mm. with respect to how far I could take my curiosity (laughs) on on the topic of value. And so ultimately, I mean, I had a couple other stops. I was in the national office at Ernst & Young for a couple years where I was like the valuation person there. Can we talk about that? So you did the, uh, you were a valuation practice fellow and you're in the national office at EY. Can you talk a little bit about those and what, why you did those and what they did for you? Yeah. So I, I was in the national office at Ernst & Young before I was a valuation practice fellow at the Financial Accounting Standards Board. And the reason I joined the national office at EY was because 
I mean, during this time, I mean, call it 2005, leading up to the financial crisis, valuation had become such a big part of financial reporting that we needed more resources in the national office to be able to address these issues, right? And I remember my first, my first week or first month in the national office in Manhattan was the month that Lehman went bankrupt. And Lehman was one of Ernst & Young's biggest audit clients. And I was like, what, what have I gotten myself into? <laughs> because one of the biggest issues of the financial crisis was the pro-cyclical, quote unquote, pro-cyclical nature of valuation to financial reporting, meaning when the markets go down, it drives the health of your balance sheet down. It drives your potential earnings down. It, like It's just pro-cyclical. It's feeding on each other, right? So your poor performance is a function of poor capital markets, and poor capital markets are a function of your poor performance, and it's just down and down and down and down we go, right? Mm-hmm. Um, ultimately, the SEC did a huge study on the impact of valuation on the financial crisis and found that it really had no, it wasn't pro-cyclical in that way. It wasn't the cause of the financial crisis. It wasn't even the cause of the depths of the financial crisis. But that was my first kind of foray into the national office in, <laughs> in 08, right when everything was really going down. And so that was a really interesting time because we did a lot of consults with clients. Do I really need to reflect the craziness we're seeing in capital markets and my valuations, right? And I think the answer ultimately was yes. I mean, the principle of fair value is an exchange of an asset and an arm's length transaction between a willing buyer and a willing seller, right? And mm-hmm. that is the rea- was the reality at the time. And so that was a really interesting time. My job there was to consult with our audit clients. It was to author our Ernst & Young's publications on valuation-related topics, and then ultimately to train and do seminars and whatnot about the concepts of, of valuation and financial reporting. And that was a two-year gig. It was always going to be a temporary thing. You, that's one of those things you cycle in and, and cycle out of. And then at the end of my two years, it just happened to coincide with the need of the Financial Accounting Standards Board to get a new valuation practice fellow. At that time, the FASB was carrying valuation people for the same reason that I went into the EY National Office, which was so to have some valuation expertise at place that's writing the rules about financial reporting. And so the time I was there was about 2000, must have been 2010 to 2012, the FASB and the International Accounting Standards Board, the IASB, were doing this big convergence effort. Mm-hmm. So the point was to try to bring global accounting standards to a single kind of, well, as close to a single set of, of rules as you can get it, right? And ultimately, I think we got there in a number of cases. Valuation happened to be one of them. I think if you open topic ASC, topic 820, and if you open IFRS 13, both of those pieces of guidance are fairly similar. At least they were when we issued them. I mean, they were virtually identical. And so that was what I worked on when I was there, was rewriting topic 820 and writing for the first time IFRS 13. It was a pretty surreal experience to, you know, when you go to the FASB and you can open a financial reporting standard in Word. (laughs) <laughs> it was pretty, you know, the, the possibilities feel endless, <laughs> um, but you actually, you know, obviously have to go through the board of directors, the financial accounting standards board and litigate all the changes you're making and all right. the rules that you're trying to write for the Makes application, sense. what it means for companies to mm-hmm. have to implement this stuff, what it means for financial institutions or small fr- private companies or global industrial companies. I mean, it all matters. But that was also a two-year process. And then that was also very gratifying. I mean, I really got to make some good relationships there with some folks that I probably wouldn't have otherwise met with from diverse backgrounds. And it was a really great opportunity. And then I went back to Ernst & Young from there, back into the complex securities um, kind of strategy and transactions group to continue my March 
onward. And, you know, it's really interesting. I never would have thought starting out that I'm going to start an executive comp place and then move to a small investment bank. And then I'm going to get infatuated with the tools of trade and then have that take me to a big four accounting firm and end up in the national office and then go to the place that writes the rules for financial reporting and then come back and then ultimately leave that place to pursue a completely different <laughs> agenda, but still with value as the underlying bedrock of what I was really super curious about. Mm -hmm. I've never deviated from that. I've never deviated from what grabbed my attention 20 years ago. Right. That's awesome. But that takes me back to your point. Like, do what you do, mm -hmm. find what you want to do and pursue it. Right. People say that if you love your job, no day is a day of work. Mm -hmm. Right. You never have a day of work if you have a job you love, but it's really not the job, right? It's really not the job. It's the, if you're constantly trying to satisfy your curiosity and every step takes you closer to really unpacking this big question you have in your head. I mean, I, to me, that's what makes it really enriching, right? That's what yeah. makes the career experience enriching. And it doesn't have to look I mean, some people are salespeople and they love it. And that's the path they want to go. Some people are doctors and they're fascinated by biology and the way the body works. And they're never going to be satisfied until they fully understand everything or they're musicians, right? And until they fully explore the limits of their skills, they're never really going to be satisfied. And I think that's really something that's kind of driven me. I'm always trying to find the limits of what this question it what what the limits are and i haven't found it yet <laughs> and so i continue to press and continue to try to see where it takes me and that's what ultimately you know took me you know to the company i'm at today just a global industrial conglomerate chasing the same question though right is is what i've been doing well, that's great. I mean, you have that curiosity, your love for valuation. And like you said, you're still chasing that what you want, but it's been a great journey on the way. So that's awesome. Now, can you talk about what a typical day of yours looks like right now? Yeah, it's <laughs> so at my firm, we're trying to have a much more lean mindset, right? And lean mindset means you try to find standard work. Right. I mean, lean is an efficiency concept. It's maximizing output and minimizing waste. And one of the ways you do that is defining standard work. I don't have a lot of standard work, <laughs> which is a little unnerving, but I do in a sense. I, mean, I guess I should say, I never know what the problem's going to be, but I always know there's going to be a problem. So in that sense, I'm trying to use the accumulated skill set that I have to try to answer the difficult questions that arise on a weekly or daily basis, you know, across the organization. And usually they are questions around capital allocation, mm -hmm. strategy, or straightforward kind of valuation issues. And so I might have a call in the morning with a team trying to figure out the value of a joint venture, right? Later in the morning, I'll have a call to discuss the long-term strategy plans that were submitted by our businesses, right? Like our businesses are the centers of, of gravity for us. It's really where a lot of the decisions are made. I sit at corporate. And so I try to take a horizontal view across the verticals to try to make sure everything is making sense, right? And make sure that we have the capital allocated in, in the right places. And so in the afternoon, <laughs> You know, you, you'll have a call on some other either financial reporting issue or some question that our BD folks might be thinking about with either a divestiture or an acquisition. But again, it's all related to optimizing capital allocation and making smart decisions around value creation. That's what we're trying. That's ultimately what we're trying to do. Yeah. Right? Okay. 
All right. Now with that, I would think that because you're having to deal with the corporate finance and like you said, you're working with whether it's new products that your company is getting into or restructuring or M&A. And so I know you're going to have to have your corporate finance skills, your valuation skills, but what other skill sets and characteristics are important to be successful in what you do? I will always say this. Uh, uh, the most important skill set I think you can have is communication. Mm. Because without it, you have no skill of persuasion. There is no conveyance of message, right? And there are a lot of challenging things we need to deal with. And I can't tell you how many people I've seen that excel technically, but just cannot communicate yeah. the simple, practical, actionable message they're trying to <laughs> communicate, right? You know, and I think I looked at along the way, dealing with some of these more complex valuation issues, whether it's try explaining a lattice model or a Monte Carlo simulation with jump diffusion to a controller <laughs> at, you know, an industrial business somewhere, mm -hmm. right? It's almost an insurmountable challenge <laughs> if you don't cut to the core of what you're actually trying to talk about. Right. In some ways, there's some trust that has to go along with that, right? I can simplify a message and have a conversation with, with you, but you need to trust that I know what I'm doing, <laughs> right? And so it's relationships and communication that really, really matter and have to be a skill set that you develop over time. And I look, when I was in undergrad, I majored in economics and I had a minor in communication arts. And it's not because I was smart. <laughs> you know, it wasn't that that was a smart, it's not that that was a, some sort of decision with intent. <laughs> it was like, okay, I knew I wanted to do economics. What else am I going to do? But ultimately it turned out, I think, to be a really good decision on, on my part and something I've always gone back and looked at and said, wow, you could have picked anything and you got kind of lucky, I guess, in, in the decision you made. But I think that communication skills are really important. And, you know, I found that the further up in an organization you go, the more straightforward the communication needs to be. Yeah. And that's kind of counterintuitive from where I thought, I think, when I was younger, right? Which is, holy cow, the CEOs are the smartest people in the world, and I need to go in there and be just as smart, right? Honestly, they are smart, right? They're very smart, and they're very impressive. But when you're trying to convey a message, you don't impress anybody by trying to show them how smart you are, right? You impress people by being concise, mm -hmm. being clear, and being humble, Yeah. right? Like, I'll acknowledge I could be wrong. I'm not pretending like I know everything here. But based on the information I have, the analysis that we've performed, the observations that I'm seeing are the following, right? And if you're very concise and practical about it, it's much more effective than trying to come off as the smartest person in the room. Right. Yep. Agree so with that's that. That's a huge, I mean, to me, that's a huge, to me, that's a huge, and it's something you need. You're better off learning earlier <laughs> in your career than, than later, I think. Good. So communication, but also the relationship building and maintaining, as you mentioned, and being humble as well. Yeah. All right. Now, what about, what, what do you love about what you do? I think I love it because it permeates almost every aspect of society. I feel like I can answer any question <laughs> it, that I encounter in the practical world with this skill set. And, and I'm constantly trying to refine it and understand more, right? Like, why does the price of gas do what it does? It's a value question. It's, it's a commodity question that has to do with supply and demand of finite resources right? And supply and demand of finite resources changes those changes and those things changes the value equation, mm -hmm. right? And, th and those changes in the value equation end up at the 
gas pump that you see every day, right? The same thing with like Bitcoin, right? I've been trying to figure this out forever or since it's been around. It's like it's 10,000 one month. It's 1,000 the next month. It's like, what is going on with this? I, I mean, I can't tell you how many emails I've gotten just random questions from executives and places I've been. It's like, what the hell is going on with <laughs> Can you explain this? Right. And I don't know that I've gotten to a place where I fully understand it, but I feel like I've got some tools to wrap around it <laughs> that help me make sense of it. <laughs> right. And again, I think until there's some sort of global treasury or federal reserve or some sort of regulatory body. I just, I feel like we're at the whims of su supply and demand. Yeah. Right. I mean, until you have somebody that controls the quantity, then, and look, I don't know enough. Maybe there is, I, you know, I don't know, but I, I you know, I, I feel like the wild volatility we're seeing is not necessarily rooted so much in fundamental value as it is in supply and demand yeah. activity. You know, I could be, look, I'm not an expert in it. I could be totally wrong, but these notions of value mm -hmm. help me at least wrap my head around it. Why am I getting the interest rate I'm getting on my mortgage? Right. Oh, well, I mean, I can explain that. Right. I mean, I, I can understand it. I can make yeah. sense of the world around me when I understand the dynamics of what creates value. And I think it can really all get distilled down to that. And I'm just in this constant pursuit of really trying to understand this question. And that's why I love it. You know, I 100% agree with you. And I, I think that was the one thing that I thought was so cool was just the constant learning and the, so many different instruments out there that you're always learning. And it's not like you, you can always go to someone and ask them what to do or you had sometimes you had to just figure it out yourself. And, you know, like you said, from things on options that are contingent on something else or credit default swaps or whatever it was, like us going in there and just digging in and trying to figure it out, that was Especially for me, I was a math major undergrad, so I was I loved problem solving. So it was it was something I really loved. And, and maybe I could say this a different way. Hmm. I thought the best description of valuation that anybody articulated to me was something our old boss Daniel Kahn said to us once, which is valuation is the quantification of risk. Hmm. Right? I mean, that's mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. what it is. Right? It's the quantification of risk yeah you can know that a risk lies in something but quantifying that risk gives you a much greater understanding of just the magnitude <laughs> of that risk and so when you go in and you understand well what risk are they taking mm -hmm. what's the upside what's the downside what protections are they putting in place like why is this exercise price set where it's at why the conversion feature why is there typically a call feature embedded in convertible debt why are they doing that right <laughs> is the you, you know it's like limit the upside that a bondholder can have so your debt's not too expensive when they convert to equity it's and once you understand the moving pieces you can almost dissect anything what's right. what's the risk what's the cash flows associated with the risk what's the probability of that risk Right. I mean, it's like those basic things give you a framework to think about the value of anything, mm -hmm. really. And it doesn't mean you're going to be right. I mean, that's look, gambling. There's value associated with gambling. It's what's the probability of an outcome? What's the magnitude of the outcome? And where should I set the line? <laughs> to, to, and so it's like that is a risk. There's yeah. a risk associated with that. And you can quantify what that risk is. And yeah. that's done every single day. Right. I mean, that's that's what gambling is. The stock. That's what the stock market is. Right. Right. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Now, what about the on the flip side? What type of challenges or obstacles are out there for you? As practical as I think it is, <laughs> <laughs> it's not always practical to people who haven't had the same life experiences as me. Right. Right. So again, like I, I was kind of tongue in cheek earlier saying, try to explain a lattice model with jump diffusion to a controller. Well, that's just because they haven't had that experience, right? I mean, the experience and training 
that they've been through has been channels of learning and experience that haven't provided them with the opportunity necessarily to think like that. Right. Right. And so I think that's a challenge. I would say another challenge is that particularly with respect to my responsibilities around capital allocation, I think people will say, Oh, Ben, that's the valuation guy. Call him when you have a financial reporting valuation problem. Right. Well, yeah, that's true. Happy to help there. The title of valuation guy, sometimes it limits others' perspective of my utility, mm-hmm. <laughs> my potential utility to them, right? right? Because like I said, and like I've explained on this podcast, I have a much broader view of what it means to be a valuation person than having the ability to do your goodwill impairment test. Mm-hmm. Right. And so to me, that's a challenge that that I face quite a bit is kind of breaking through the perception of what my career is. Right. And so I would say that's the biggest challenge that I face. But look, I mean, with persistence and and with good communication, you can make people understand the perspective that you're approaching the issue from. Right. And I think when, you know, when people talk about diversity of thought, and the benefits of diversity. I really think that's part of what it means is different life experiences, right? I mean, I view a problem completely differently from the way my wife views a problem, right? right? And that's not a bad thing. It's just, she'll say I'm so analytical or whatever, (laughs) but that's just the way I approach things. Um, You know, and so I think that the more conversations you have, the more people open up to the diversity of the thought and, and seeing the utility of actually considering the points you have to make. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that analytical mind has helped you to get to where you are. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't really know where I am, <laughs> but, <laughs> but here I am. And yeah, I guess it's gotten me here. Um, I, I mean, I'll be honest, I don't know where it's going. I, I honestly, I don't know where it's going, but I'm really happy with the challenges that I get to face in, in what I'm doing today. And I think it, it's a great place to be and, and great challenges to pursue. Nice. All right. Now, over your career, any memorable moments stick out? Yeah. I mean, besides showing up to the EY National Office on the same week or mm-hmm. month that our biggest, one of our biggest audit clients went bankrupt, that was memorable, like right in the middle of the financial crisis, <laughs> uh, or at the beginning of, I should say. Another memorable moment was I met with somebody when I was at the Financial Accounting Standards Board. I didn't know the guy. I'd never met him before in my life. It was just kind of, you know, a networking exercise. And I met him at Grand Central Station and we sat down and had a drink or something. And we were just chatting and we were just because he was in a similar role to me and moved on to a financial institution somewhere. And I was just thinking about what next steps could be and where I could take and I'll never forget. He said, when are you going to start playing offense with your career? Mm. And it, I never thought about it in those terms. But when he said that, it hit me like a ton of bricks because I was like, you know what? I, I am playing offense. Like I'm seeking out a role so that the perception is that I've succeeded somewhere and therefore that protects me from being let go, mm-hmm. yeah, right? right. And after that, I said, you know what? This guy's right. I don't even remember his name. I'll be honest with you, I don't even remember his name. But I said, this guy's right. I've gotten to a point, and I don't wanna be so naive to suggest that you should just right out of the gate, you know, play offense. I understand the point of playing defense, playing yeah. some defense. But I got to the point where I was like, what am I doing all this for, right? Like if I'm, if I'm constantly trying to build a resume so I'm not let go, am I ever going to try to pursue, take some risks right. so that I can succeed beyond what's available, right? And to me, that's like, and look, I played, you know, sports, growing up and in college and stuff like that. And, and the saying that you should play to win, don't play right. not to lose. Right. Right. That's so true. That's mm-hmm. so true. And I'll never forget the drink I had with that guy. And that's when I 
flipped. That's when I flipped over to stop playing not to lose and started playing to win. And insofar as pursuing things that I wanted to do for my own intellectual benefit, yeah. <laughs> right? My own personal growth, my own kind of sense of achievement. And that was a huge deal to me. And it's so funny that, you know, there's so many people I remember, so many people I really admire and, and having worked with. And one of the most memorable things about, you know, my career has been from a guy I don't even know his name. <laughs> I can't even remember his name. Well, um, but it was, it was, it was really, it's something that's really stuck with me. Um, you know, I would say I grew a lot from my mentor, you know, who was, who you and I both worked for at EY. I mean, that's, that's, was just a great place to be a great place yep. to grow, yep. great place to grow as an individual and as a professional. And, you know, I'll, I'll never forget that. I mean, that was a 10 year period. So it was almost yep. like, it's to call that out as a defining moment, but it was certainly the moment of most personal growth and very grateful for, for having that opportunity. Yeah, I'll say a couple of things. One is I had a similar incident and I can't remember the person's name, but, but I remember I was interning and the guy looked at our class and told us to look at the people behind us on the board and said, do you know what they have in common? And we guessed and none of us got it right. He said, and I think I mentioned this before, but he said, they all took risk. They all took risk. You know, this person went to Hong Kong to start investment banking. And of course, right now you said, yeah, of course. But no, this is way back when nobody was going there. This person did this. This person did that. They all took risk and now they're succeeding because of it. You need to take risk. And that always stuck to me. And then what you said about EY and a group, that definitely stuck with me in the end was a big growing moment for my life as well, too. I, I think just there was just so much training there. There was so much also just on the job training there too. And then the, the team building there too. I've never been in, in in an environment where it's so much team building stuff as well too. I remember one time we did a scavenger hunt in DC through DC. Do you remember that? <laughs> yes. I think you won. I, I'm sure you remember because you won probably. Yeah, I did, but no. I just... <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I do remember it. That is. That, but, you know, I mean, that's relationship building, right? Yeah. And, and that's part of relationship building and trust. And yeah. Somebody could look at that as like a boondoggle, but ultimately it wasn't. It's something that really brought us together as a team. Yes. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, Ben, this is the end of the interview. I'm going to head over to the quick hitter session where I ask you questions for fun to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, but before I do that, though, is there anything additional that you would like to talk about or anything you think I might have left off asking you? No, I mean, I'd, I'd be really interested in understanding more about your aspirations for, for this podcast. I think it's a fantastic idea. I, you know, again, I really think that having a library of experiences yep. is is so valuable for folks just starting out, for folks changing, for folks trying to understand how the skills they and experiences they have had could translate into something different. But I just think it's a it's a great idea. Yeah, thanks. Appreciate it. No, I'm just trying to grow it any way I can. And I've talked to some colleges recently and I, I really think that it can help college students. Because I know when I was in college I didn't know what exactly I wanted to do at all. But you no, know, I think for anyone though, no matter what age either wanting to know what to get into, want a career switch, or just intrigued about what's out there. So yeah. That's yeah, really cool. Yeah. It's really cool. I'm going to listen. I've listened to, to a handful of them um, and I'm looking forward to, to listening to some more. So ah, really cool. Thanks, man. I appreciate I'm that. Thinking of, I'm thinking of becoming a DJ. <laughs> uh, so you heard um, Blaster, Jeff Dan Blaster. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. His was good, man. I like that. I like nice. that. That's really, that was really cool. <laughs> cool. All right. So let's go to these quick hitter session sure. questions. All right. So first one, what's your favorite sports team? Oh, wait. <laughs> you know Ohio, the rest. Ohio State. All right. Yeah. <laughs> I knew that. Ohio State Buckeyes. Yep. yep. Yeah, you guys are looking good. <laughs> favorite movie or show? Oh, yeah, this is tough. I feel like I'm going to cheat on these a little bit, Rodolfo. I, <laughs> I, here's how I'm going to answer that. Okay. Here's what watching on Netflix <laughs> yeah. Yeah. right now, which is I, we're just coming out of Halloween and I am binge watching American Horror Story. Oh, okay. I, 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 I don't know why. I love 
that kind of stuff, like psychological <laughs> thrillers. Uh, and I love Halloween movies. Yeah. And I just can't get enough of, there's a ton of it there too. So yeah. I'm not through it at all, but um, that's what I'm watching right now. Okay. Yeah. I watched the first few seasons and after a while, I was like, man, this is a little bit too much for me. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I'm, I'm a little slow on the uptake on things. I'm not, uh, you know, I let people give me advice first before okay. I just dig in. I guess that's indicative of my risk tolerance. Right. <laughs> it is. So, all right. um, favorite musical artist or group? I'm a cheat here too. My favorite <laughs> Sirius XM station is Lithium. So I love like Stone Temple Pilots. I okay. love Sublime, kind of the 90s rock stuff. Nice. Is is kind of my jam. All right. Favorite vacation spot? I Kiowa Island in South Carolina. Mm. I love Kiowa. Nice. Uh, there's something about those beaches that are just fantastic. Uh, you know, the, the, the solitude and the white sand beaches and just a, it's a beautiful spot to go. I've been going since I was a kid and mm. uh, I love that spot. And last favorite food or drink? Oh, geez. Um, my favorite drink is bourbon. <laughs> is that okay? Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, you know, it's funny, just a quick little story. I, I went to Napa Valley once where I was doing a engagement out there with one of our clients and I'd never been to Napa Valley and Napa Valley, as far as I was concerned, was just one road, one straight road in a valley yeah. with wineries, uh, every 200 yards is a new winery right yeah and i thought that that's what the kentucky bourbon trail was going to be like so i hadn't been there but i'd been to napa valley so i said hey let's go you know to the kentucky bourbon trail and as it turns out the kentucky bourbon trail you go to one you go through you know a distillery and you get to sample their product at the end and then you say okay well where's the next one and they're like it's 20 miles that way <laughs> you know like second you know i just uh you know, had a healthy amount of sample here how am i gonna get to the next i could be able to do that <laughs> yeah so that was an interesting experience luckily you know my wife was about eight months pregnant at the time so i i That's had nice, a right? means had a means to get around yeah <laughs> so yeah nice all right well well ben this has been great Great talking to you. Great catching up. And yeah. I love, man, I love your curiosity. Like I said, your passion for what you're doing, the passion for valuation and just congrats on all that you've done so far and, and, and all your accomplishments and keep doing what you're doing, man. And thank you for coming on to the podcast. Uh, it's my pleasure. I look forward to keeping track. Congrats to you too, man. I'll be all listening right. to these. Cool. And is there any way that people can get in touch with you if, if they have any questions? If you want to look me up, hit me up on LinkedIn. Feel free to do that. And if you have any questions or anything, I'd be happy to, to help you out. Other than that, you know, the only time I spend on social media is when I'm trying to figure out what my kids are doing on it. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. Well, hey, thanks, Ben. Have a good one. My pleasure. My pleasure. Great to see you, Rodolfo. All right. Yeah, you too. Thank you, everyone. If you have any comments or questions or would like to be on the podcast, please reach out to me on Instagram at Rodolfo Cooper. Thank you. Bye.